Good morning. We're going to be reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's the word of the Lord. Father, we need this today badly. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Paul is certainly not pulling any punches in this text this morning. But I'm going to start with a, a question. How many, how many of you are familiar with a, a Netflix show called Alone? I know a few of you are because I was talking to you guys about it last night. <laughs> uh, the History Channel which produces alone, calls it the most intense survival series on television. No camera crews, no gimmicks. It is the ultimate test of human will. Uh, Beth and I, we're currently watching season nine, and in it, 10 contestants with minimal resources have been placed in the remote wilds of Labrador, which is the easternmost part of Canada, uh, to see who can last the longest using their will and their wits. Episode two was particularly interesting as it opens with a quote from American activist Marian Wright Edelman, which I think um, really effectively describes the ethos of the show. And it says, don't feel entitled to anything you didn't sweat and struggle for. Don't feel entitled to anything you didn't sweat and struggle for. It's a bit of a bumper sticker for the self-sufficient. It's actually a biblical idea. It means the spoils belong to the one who sweats and toil for it. I have a biblical verse for you uh, out of Proverbs, which you're probably familiar with. In chapter 24, it simply says, The sluggard who does not plow in season will find nothing in the harvest. Now, This is helpful advice when it comes to understanding our lives and our vocations and the value of hard work. However, if this mentality 
If this spirit is applied to our understanding of the gospel, it will result in disastrous consequences. In fact, that is a problem. If you've been here with us for a while, that is the problem of the church in Galatia. You see, what the gospel declares in the Bible, it proclaims that we are too sinful to contribute to our own salvation. No amount of self-reliance will do. No matter how much we sweat, how much we struggle, no matter what of self we bring to the table, even our best offerings uh, tell us that we will always come up short. What we need, according to the gospel of the Bible, of scripture, is we need a, a rescue that comes completely outside of ourselves. We are saved by belief in Jesus' sweat, Jesus' struggle. Um, it is the grace of Christ plus nothing else. The grace of Christ plus nothing else. The, the Galatian believers, at first, they had fully embraced this good news. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Yet what we learn in the letter is that they were on the verge of abandoning this beautiful simplicity in order to exchange it for a gospel of self-reliance, so which is why I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Gospel of Self-Reliance. You see, they were being tempted to believe in a gospel coupled with religious rites and rituals, which is why Paul in verse 2, and I hope you hear the severity in his words and in his voice. It's very, it's very much an impassioned play, uh, plea to them. But in verse 2 he says, look, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. No advantage to you. In case this is your first sermon in Galatians, here's a long quote from, because you know how much I love long quotes, there's a long quote from Timothy George to get you up to speed and to remind all of us, refresh our memories as to what's actually going on in the text. It reads, uh, the topic of circumcision has been in the background of Paul's polemic against the Judaizers all along. In chapter 2, Paul reminded the Galatians of his successful resistance against the efforts of certain false brothers to have the Gentile Titus circumcised during their visit to Jerusalem. That's quite a vacation. <laughs> Similarly, those who belonged to the circumcision group had provoked the incident which led to Paul's confrontation with Peter at Antioch. However, only here in chapter 5 does Paul engage the issue head-on in terms of the crisis in Galatia. Now, we know for sure what must have been perfectly clear to the original readers of the epistle all along. Namely, that the Galatian agitators were demanding that Paul's converts uh, should get circumcised. According to Acts chapter 15, the Judaizers believed that acceptance of this ancient Jewish ritual was absolutely necessary for salvation and incorporation to the people of God. You see, and it's really sad, the gospel of grace, like torrential rivers, had come to them and flooded into their lives in a really bold and beautiful way. And now they were looking to dam up those rivers. Jesus had broken their chains and set them free. And yet they were indulging the idea of reshackling to rites 
and rituals that were actually foreign to their culture. They had no, they had no idea and understanding of it, and yet they were considering an, a full embrace of it. Many commentators say this was the beginning of something that would develop into full practice of Judaism for these Gentile believers. Instead, and what is so sad, instead of exclusively believing in and depending on Good Friday and Easter for salvation and incorporation into the people of God, these Christians, Paul tells us, had been bewitched into believing that they, through their embrace of Judaism, could bring something of self-effort to the salvation equation. And you would think, you would think, that the Galatian Christians would sniff this putrid doctrine out and throw it in the trash. You would think that they'd immediately toss that away, they cast it aside. Why were they entertaining this inferior and dangerous doctrine? Why were they entertaining this inferior and dangerous doctrine? As Marshall uh, Seagal Uh, No relation to Stephen explains. Because however wrong the false teachers may have been, their message met a sinful inclination deep inside the human heart. We all secretly love a gospel that relies on us. We love being the hero, or at least a celebrated sidekick. Self-reliance feeds our self-esteem and self-worth, right? You're like, I don't like that one. Huh? Take, it, take it off, right? <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt about it. Um, you see, what we find out in the book of Gal- Galatians is that there's a deep, and Paul talks about this very specifically, there's a deep temptation within the human heart to finish in the flesh what God has clearly started in the spirit. We, we are control freaks. We like to control everything. Or am I the only one? Am I the only one who's trying to run all the levers and press all the buttons and control everything? No. You see, even though it was Jesus' sweat, Jesus' struggle, his blood, it was his work which purchased ours and their redemption, we invariably, we want to show our work too. Right? We want to show God, look at what I have done. Isn't this pleasing? Isn't this Incredible. And depending on how deeply we trust in that, it's deeply, deeply dangerous for us. In an article for Nine Marks, uh, Pastor Ed Moore writes these words around this topic. By nature and by training, we all seek solutions to our problem of sin. To varying degrees, these solutions include doing something, law-keeping, good works, etc., to please or appease or satisfy the God who is one day going to judge us. The idea of contributing to one's own salvation is universal. It's the engine which propels every religion. And you might be saying to yourself, well, that's really good news because I'm not really a religious person. Well, even non-religious people feel the same way. We all have a feeling and a sense of our idea of being good. And that good, to a certain degree, being good enough to really please God. What follows is an adaptation of his, his Ed Taylor, uh, Ed, um, what's what's his name again? Ed Moore, yeah. 
uh, his ad an adaptation of his 10 flavors of works uh, base salvation. Or to fit it into Galatians 5, uh, we'll call it, uh, we'll call it the, the gospel of self-sufficiency. This is not exhaustive, but it's helpful. I'll start with number one. We want to sometimes believe in the work of philanthropy. Uh, we want to say, look, I've been great at giving. Um, I've been, I give to the church. I give to the poor. Uh, could God really reject me if I've been so generous? Uh, Number two, the work of service. We, say, we can say, I've been great at sacrificing my time. Uh, shoveling snow for my neighbors, uh, ladling soup at the kitchen, not to mention the way I've uh, volunteered at the church. I've certainly just been too busy to be rejected by God. How about the work of ritual? We can, we can put all our eggs in the basket of confession, confirmation, communion, baptism, prayers, candles, church attendance, um, some sort of ceremony, a lot like being circumcised, is going to get me right with God. How about the, are you guys loving this? Uh, how about the work of uh, comparison? Uh, I might not be the best guy or gal in the world, but I'm definitely not the worst. And by comparison, I mean, these guys are real bad. And, and, and I'm not even close to Hitler, right? I don't even touch, like, the Hitler realm. So that's got, that's got to count for something, right? <laughs> we say, if we're looking at a bell curve, I'm definitely on the plus side of this. By comparison, I'm in. By comparison, i got to be in. How about the work of comprehension? Um, my theology is impeccable. I can understand, articulate all the salient points of the gospel. I will be embraced by God based upon what I know. What I know and what I can tell people. I'm going to be embraced by God. Number six, the work of decision. Walk that aisle, sign that card, pray that prayer. Well-meaning Christian, Christian pastors will tell you that if you simply make your decision to ask Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior, then you are saved and you can doubt no more. And let me just say, because that might rattle some, there's a big difference between a singular momentary decision and a life of apprenticeship to Jesus. Number seven, the work of restitution. Hey, unless you, just so you know, we can talk about any of these things over coffee. I'll buy it for you. You can be mad at me, and, and I'll, pay, I'll buy you a coffee and be nice to you. <laughs> Number seven, uh, the work of restitution. I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and so I need to go back and take care of all those things. I need to go back and take care of all the wrongs in my life. If I do that, once I do that, then God will forgive me. The work of affliction. This looks like beating yourself up. It's, we, it's more commonly called penance. I'll give myself hell here and now, and then God won't give it to me later, right? Martin Luther, in an attempt to be saved, used to beat himself up with a whip. Literally used to flog himself until he realized that the just shall live by faith. How about the work of meditation? I can go on a retreat and be quiet and still before God. He connects with me when I clear my mind. And when I'm poised and quiet, God comes and meets me where I am. Number 10, last one, enough torture. Uh, the work of seeking affirmation. 
I don't know whether or not I'm saved, but I can get the elders or someone else in church to tell me that I am saved, and I will find rest in God simply because other people are communicating an affirmation to me. Now, I know those are some intense thoughts. These practices, they're in and of themselves, they're fine and good. However, if, and here's the thing, here's what Galatians is telling us. If we place power in these practices to ensure uh, God's embrace of us, it is not the gospel that Jesus has proclaimed and the one that has been passed on by the apostles. And that's what we need to make the distinction in when we understand the letter. You see, we are saved. We are incorporated into the people of God. And here's the thing. We're entitled to grace, mercy, and forgiveness on the sweat, the struggle, and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his resume where we are placing all of our trust in. His resume alone, where we are placing our trust. What he has done, not what I have done, what he has done, where we're putting our trust. And so the gospel is very clear. We come to Christ, but we must come to him with nothing. And here's, here's what's intense about the text, which I think is really, really incredible and helpful. But he says, if we must insist on our own self-reliance, if we insist on uh, accentuating Christ's work with our own, the consequences will be grave. They'll, they're terrifying. If I, if I wasn't freaking you out enough, here's a, here's a few more things to freak you out with in the text. Uh, verse 2 says, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. In verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if we are going to go that route, if we're going to say the route will, the route, the, 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 the way I'm going to be saved, the way I'm going to be redeemed is by keeping the law, then we are, then we are committing to perfection. We're committing to live a life like Jesus lived. And we're already done. Right? I'm already shot in the foot at that point. In verse 4, he says, you are severed. If, if we insist on this way, you are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have, a fall, you have fallen away from grace. Do you hear what he's saying? He uses this word, severed. That's pretty self-explanatory. It's a total disconnection from God. A total disconnection from your Savior and his work over your life, over our lives. It is serious business. Paul is, you know, if he's, if he's, a, if he's a pitcher, he's throwing fastballs. I mean, he, is, he, he, he didn't care if his arm falls off. He's reaching back and he's throwing as hard as he can. He's throwing as hard as he can. And it's serious business. And it's why he wishes that those who promote this kind of gospel would emasculate themselves. It's not something you normally expect to hear at church. And I'm sorry for you parents, you, you're going to have to tell your kids uh, what that means uh, later. I'm not. I, you have to do that one. 
But did you see what he says? He says, this is so serious. Why is it so serious? Because it's the soul of the individual that matters the most. It's, it's, the, it's, a, the, it's a soul at stake. And so why, we, why would we trivialize the gospel when there are souls at stake? It, I don't know about you, but it boggles my mind when people are passing out salvation cards like it's theirs to get. I can go into some really, I got some, I got some PTSD about uh, people who pass out gospel, uh, you know, salvation cards to everyone and, and blesses them with salvation. So, but I won't go into that because that'll, you know, that'll just be scary and not good. And here's another thing, guys. And I have to make this case, I have to, I have to explain this as well. I'm not building a case for the, law, the loss of one's salvation, Okay? Really clear. I'm not building a case for the loss of one's salvation. But I think what the, the text is very clear is that you can be deceived around where you are placing your trust, your hope, and your expectation. And what he says to the Christian, and I think this, is, this should be something that we take seriously, because if it is God's word, if it really is breathed from him, it is, if it really is for us, then what, here's what we need to know. A Christian, you can't lose your salvation. You can't. Because that's, again, it's God's work, right? It's what he does. But what the text is very clear about is you can lose your freedom. You can lose your freedom. If you don't cling to Christ alone, you can lose your freedom. The text is so interesting because it's sandwiched with what Christ has earned for his followers on the cross and in the resurrection. It's a beautiful gospel sandwich. On the top, it's, it begins with Jesus, and on the bottom, it ends with Jesus. And he says, this, he, is what makes sense of all this. You see, in verse 1, and I'll read it for you again, he explains why he is so intense. Because he says, it's for freedom Christ has set us free. And they said, so, so don't be enslaved again to uh, the yoke of slavery. He's saying, Jesus has come to set you free. And then at the end in verse 13, he says, you were called to freedom. Every time I read this, I, I just see, I see William Wallace dying, screaming, freedom. You know, it's for freedom. And Jesus said this himself. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 8. He said, if the Son sets you free, then you will be a free indeed. Amen. It's done. If you are free, then you are free. But, it's, it, but freedom is exclusively found in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, don't ever disconnect from that. Don't ever put your trust in anything else. And the warning here is, so if we insist on showing God our work in order that he might love and embrace us, Paul says we are climbing back into the cage that he has liberated us from. And why would we ever get back in a cage? Why would we ever? There's this, there's a, my wife, she really loves um, animal videos. She's, she's rapidly aging. Um, so she... You can tell her, you can tell her, I'm fine. I've already, I've said this to her face. Um, 
In, in the sense, she's rapidly aging, not, not like in a physical way, in that she loves to sit in bed and watch cute animal videos and giggle like, like crazy. It's hilarious. And I mean, the other day, she's, she's laughing. like She's seen the funniest thing in her life. She's out loud. And she's showing me this video of a, a dog that's just come out of surgery. And so it's all still messed up on anesthesia. And it's like doing this. And they've added sound effects to sound like punching. It's like quack, 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 quack. And she is dying. They added sound effects. They added sound effects. And I said, I wish I was videotaping all of this. I, I, I wish I had this as a memory. You're, you're, you're so funny. But back to my point. That was like a little rabbit trail. She showed me one video where it, um, it showed this chimpanzee who had been in testing for its entire life. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's been, it's been um, you know, they've just been running. It's, it's, it's been a lab chimp for its entire life. So it's been in a cage its whole life. And it's really powerful, actually, when, it, when for the first time it comes out of the cage and sees the sun and sees the way the world ought to be. You're like, that chimpanzee is not ever going back in that cage. And here's what's crazy about us Christians is that sometimes we, like all of us, if we've, if we've really met Jesus, we've seen how beautiful he truly is. We, we see how he really is the solution to every single aspect of life. And yet sometimes we say, Jesus, step aside. I'm going to do this by myself. Right? We've all been there. We all do that. But what Paul says is, that's a cage. That's climbing back into a cage. You see, we're not any different from the people of Israel, the, the, the promised children of Israel. They were, they were trying to get back to Egypt, right? They said, we're tired of this food, that, this, this magical food that falls from the sky. We, we, where's the leeks, right? I just think that's the, the, one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Where's the leeks, right? They were so delicious. You can only get those in, in Egypt, you know? The leek stand, I guess. Um, that's the thing. Being a Christian means staying free, standing in that freedom, standing in it. And that's why, Paul, that's why Paul's throwing heaters. That's why he's reaching back and throwing until his arm is going to fall off. So let's not climb back into cages. We have to remember what we've been liberated from. How do we know if we're, if we're attempting to climb back in cages? Well... I'm not going to be exhaustive. I'm just going to throw one, a, a series of tiny ideas to let you take home and talk about and talk about in your gospel communities. The bottom line is, if we want to know the answer to that question, how do we know? Well, we have to be really honest about our own heart motivations. We have to be honest with ourselves and with God. We really need to examine why we do uh, things, why we don't do things. We have to ask ourselves, am I motivated by Christ and his love, or is it something else? What am I truly motivated by in this life? And I, and I, really, I sincerely mean that. 
Paul's words, God's words, they mean nothing unless we totally take them into our souls and let them transform us in our inner man and woman. You have to really ask yourself, honestly. And so, you know, next week, we'll look at the other side of this conversation. And we'll, we'll discuss, or you'll listen to me again, diatribe, on uh, what it looks like to not abuse uh, our liberty. What it looks like to live into freedom. What it looks like to love God and love neighbor. What it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. But I've um, abused you enough this morning. So, I'll close with a quote, three questions, and a prayer. Deal? All right, good. Timothy George, because he has the hot hand in my studies, at least. He says, Christian freedom is the precious birthright of every believer. Every believer. For the Galatians to accept circumcision and all that it implied was for them to throw away the precious gift of freedom and step back onto the unceasing treadmill of self-justification. Sounds terrible, right? So off the treadmill, out of the cage. Questions. Questions to ponder and consider. One, am I trusting in God's promise or my performance? Is it God's promise or my performance that I'm relying on? Number two, what is the motivation behind why I do good? Why do I actually do good? Is it about God or is it really about me? And number three, am I truly standing firm in the freedom Christ has won for me? Or am I looking to re-enter a cage? And for the prayer, it's out of the Book of Common Prayer, Anglicans got some cool things for us, and I'm offering one of them to you this morning. And it reads, Lord God Almighty, you have made all the peoples of the earth for your glory, to serve you in freedom and in peace. Give to the people of our country a zeal for justice and the strength of forbearance, that we might use our liberty in accordance with your gracious will. Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your beautiful, stunning, staggering, amazing grace. Lord, we want to continue reflecting on your sweat, your toil, your struggle, your blood being shed on that cross in order to rescue and redeem us and make us your children. And so, God, help us to stand firm in the freedom we have been given. And if, if you are here this morning and you don't know that freedom, then we want to we walk with you in that as well. So, Jesus, help that individual. Touch them with your spirit to, to see that need and to make steps uh, towards apprenticeship and discipleship in your kingdom. And God, uh, just thank you that you have met us here today. You are ever faithful and ever present with your people. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.